0: impact around this globe and we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Well thank you worship team. Don't you just love that song? Kind of cool that um, uh, we're learning that one together. Well it is good to be here with you uh, this morning. Uh, We've welcomed back the team that uh, did some work in Greece and I've already heard some really amazing stories of what God Uh, has done through that team and and in that team. And while those, if you're in this service, if if you were gone, we've had some pretty uh, remarkable weeks as well too. Uh, Time to be able to just go before the Lord and lament in the midst of all of the challenges and and, uh, uh, the carnage really around the world and close to home. And then last week to spend some time uh, learning what God was doing around the world with Covenant World Relief. And uh, Don Enngebrison was with us from the denomination, and he gave an invitation for us to jump in in a practical way and generous way, uh, engage in sponsorships of young uh, boys and girls in the Congo. And the project there that uh, the, the Covenant denomination is doing, connected with World of Vision. And there were uh, 53 sponsorships already that were added to those that we have uh, in, in the past really remarkable. That's about a commitment of $25,000 a year. And you add to that the commitments to refugee responders, uh, which was 16 other people that were doing that to really engage in Syrian refugee relief, which we actually were involved in. Our team was involved in for the last couple of weeks. That's over $30,000 just last Sunday that you all just jumped in on that and I understand that there are a number of others that are still thinking about it. And if you weren't here last week and you want to jump in on that, we would encourage you to do that as well too. But I was just struck again by what Hillcrest is like. Uh, it's just a place filled with people, oh, receptive to what God wants to say to their heart and responding to it. And uh, I, as I was driving in this morning, realized I only get three more Sundays Uh, to preach. Uh, This is going to be a really, really hard place to say goodbye to. Uh, There is something about this place, and if you're visiting uh, for the first time this Sunday, or you've been just coming for a a few weeks, I just have to say to you, there is something God is doing in this church community that over and over again we hear about from people outside. it. Last Sunday, there were a couple people that came in from different parts of the United States, and they said, wow, there is something remarkable about what God is doing at Hillcrest and the heart that God has given the people of Hillcrest. And it is, it is, just, it is just remarkable. I, I, I love that. I love having it shape our family and uh, anticipate what God will do in the future uh, through all of you. Um, but that is for another time for us to go deep with that. But I just want to say this is a. It is so. There's some, here's what I wanted to say. It, it is like a no hype family. That's what we are. That's what you are. Just a no hype family. We want to hear from Jesus, and we want to respond. And that's what we want to do this morning as we go before the Lord. Right? Let's ask God right now to slow down our minds and our hearts, and to free them up and allow them to be characterized by a willingness to say yes to what he wants to say to us this morning through his word. All right? So let's ask for that as we move into this time. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have given us a book that is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword and that your word has supernatural capacity to do things in our lives and you will do it right now if we just simply say yes. And so, God, that's what we're asking, Lord, that you would just focus our our understanding, our hearts and our minds on you and free us up with a humility and a willingness to let you speak new and powerful things into our life and give us the capacity, the will to respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I was, um, uh, I must have been channel surfing, uh a while ago, and I came upon a channel where Penn and Teller were doing this program. It's apparently been several years that they've done it. And it's called uh, Fool Me or something like that. And Penn and Teller are magicians. They have a gig that's gone for years and years in Las Vegas, and they do all kinds of uh, tricks, and it's a very, very popular. Well, apparently they've got their own program now, And I only saw this once, so I can't represent the whole thing. But in this particular episode, there was a young man, and he was doing rope tricks, just extraordinary rope tricks. It was like there's one rope, and then there are three ropes. They're cut in different places. It was just astounding to me. But the, the program goes this way. If you can fool Penn and Teller, they'll actually invite you to be the lead act before they present one night in, in Las Vegas. What an amazing thing to do. This guy did these rope tricks, and it was like amazing to me. And then they confer after it's over with, and they, they talk to each other, and then they said to this young man, well, your presentation was really remarkable, but we knew exactly what you were doing all the way along the line. And that was it. Then it was over. Goodbye, see you later next. And I thought, I want to know. You know. Show me what the magic was in it. You know, I want to be able to see it. And, uh, and they just said, no, you didn't fool us, next. And they go on with the next person. And uh, I, I know this, having not seen any other episodes except that one particular one, in the several seasons that Fool Me has run, no one has actually done anything magic. You get that? No one has actually ever done anything anything magic they call them tricks they're illusions they give the appearance of being supernatural or define the laws of nature and we we rise to it and say oh wow and want a sense of wonder in it but we all know that it's a sleight of hand Or it's a trick of the eye or of the mind somehow. There has never actually been in all of Penn & Teller's career no actual defiance of the rules of nature. It has just only looked like that. And I would imagine you would be a bit disappointed if you really wanted to see something genuinely wonderful because it doesn't happen. And even when the best magicians simply use sleight of hand, we are brought back down to earth to say again, it looks like it's just us. Here we are left with the disappointing realities of life. Just tricks. Just tricks. No supernatural intervention at all. Those bodies that look like they levitate, guess what? They don't. So here we are living in a world filled with the realities of the laws of nature. Perhaps that's why Nebuchadnezzar was so disappointed in Daniel chapter 2 when we read this account this morning. He was actually a little more than annoyed. Disappointment wouldn't rise to the level of describing what his frustration was like. Nebuchadnezzar needed more in his life than, was, than what was humanly accessible to him. He needed, on this particular day, for there to actually be a God in heaven that cares about the conditions of people on earth. He was stunned by a dream he had had in all sorts of angst and concern about it, and he needed there to be a God in heaven that would visit the earth and would respond to him. Now, are there any of us in this room that want that same thing too? In the midst of the chaos or the difficulties or the puzzles of our life, uh, say, "I, I, I hope that there is a God in heaven that cares about us. Our, our, our uh, disappointments, our, our, uh, our angst, uh, our, our brokenness. Is it possible that there's a God in heaven that cares about that? Well, do you realize that there are people all over the world that have that very same longing? To actually live with the possibility that there is something out there, someone out there that can go beyond the laws of nature. This question, is there anyone who cares about my life, about my future? Is there one who is aware of and will address addictions, peril, broken dreams, broken friendships? Am I significant at all is what the heart screams out and wanting an answer to. Does my life matter? Is there anything that is genuinely true? Is there anything in this world that is truly authentic? Is there anything in this world that is purely good? Is there anything in this world that is unqualifyingly beautiful? Our heart longs for those things to be true. And this is where we find Nebuchadnezzar in this story. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know whether there was a God who would speak into his life, wisdom beyond human wisdom. And so he had basically compiled together a group of people that were brilliant or wise in different types of ways. And he took good care of them. He took very, very good care of those he hoped would speak for the gods to him. But he wasn't sure whether they were actually telling him anything that he could not have come up with on his own. And so on this particular day, he says, your life is on the line. I want more than you simply speculating to me what you think my dream meant. Now, how many of you heard this story before? Can you just see a show of hands? Heard this story? Uh, and when was it you heard it? How old were you? Just, just roughly? Six? Ten. Ten? What else? Come on. What's that? 40, okay, that's good, that's really good. Because for most of us in the room, right, you heard this when you were a kid, right? You heard this in Sunday school, or it was one of those Bible stories, right, that your parents or someone used to just kind of get your attention for a little bit. You know, that's kind of the way we learned this story, actually, is that it was entertainment in Sunday school class with maybe a lesson attached to it. But you know what, the reason why it's in this book isn't to help keep our kids distracted, the reason it was in this book is because God wants to say something to you and me. And actually, to you and me, those of us who aren't 10, 6, 8, 12 years old anymore, but those of us who are right here in this story, right in this room right now. So here's what I want to do. I want to read the story to us, and then I want to just look at some of the highlights, kind of key themes of it, tell you the secret. There is a secret in this story And then look at ways that it might make a difference to us. So my guess is some of you haven't heard the details of this story in years. So we're going to just read it, all right? So if you have a Bible, you might want to pull it out, a smartphone, you might want to follow along with that. But this is the story found in Daniel chapter 2. And in your copy of the Connect, you can see the first part of the story written out there. If you don't have any other resource, and I'm going to actually take it further than that. Here we go. Daniel 2, beginning verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. To tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever, tell your servants a dream, and we'll interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. This is a fine good morning, isn't it? glad you're here, I've got an assignment for you. If you don't fulfill it, you're dead. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the kings ask. No king, however great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Don't you just love that? What a smart strategy. Someone's walking in the door and says, I'm about to put you to death. Speak with wisdom and tact, okay? There, there's the sun the school lesson right there. We go on, verse 15. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times. And seasons, he deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Ariach, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he said to him, Don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret the dream for him. Ariach took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles of Judah who can tell the king what the dream means. And the king said to Daniel, Are you able to tell me that my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanted, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he goes on to describe to him his dream and interprets it for him. And at the end of it, he summarizes by saying this in verse 45 The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery." So that's a summary of the story just a couple of things I want to note before we look at what does this mean for us and how do we apply it the first is this if you've noticed this is a story about a powerful man who didn't have enough power some some as a powerful man who didn't have nearly enough of it they accused him of being unreasonable which by the way is probably not a brilliant idea when your life is on the line to say to the person, you're not very smart, are you? Won't get you anywhere. I'm not sure how wise these guys were, but uh, they accused him of being unreasonable, but it wasn't that he was unreasonable. It was that he was filled with longing to know the truth. His anger actually surrounds their conviction of what they said. More than the sense that he was being disrespected, it's what they said, what was true in the world. Because that's where this whole story goes. This is what they said. The gods do not live among us. In other words, we're, we're simply, King, we're just simply trying to make do. You gotta give us something to work with. Call it a magic trick. But this is all we've got. What you're asking for is above the pay grade of any human being to respond. Now note something about this. This is is certainly one of the most powerful rulers of that time. I mean, he had done amazing things, pulled together all of these cultures and all of these nations and wisely pulled young people out to train them and prepare them so that his kingdom could expand. He was a person of immense power. And yet it is this person, one of the most powerful people in the world, who is frustrated by the limitations of his power. Now think about that. If one of the person, a person in the world with more power than you and I will ever have concludes that it is not enough what's left for you and me, what chance do we have of living a life that's not filled with disappointment. When someone with that much power is staring the inadequacy of what it means to be human in the face and realizing there is nothing he can do. Here's the lesson for us. If you're intending to live life on this earth, prepare to be disappointed. I don't care how much power you've amassed. You will, in the end, come to the place where you are filled with grave disappointment. The world is filled with disappointed people. In fact, we've said this before. People in the society say that the greatest, the most prevalent emotion of the adult American is disappointment. It is almost universal, it is a more prevalent emotion than any other emotion that we experience in our culture. Is just this sense of disappointment. And you look at what we have available to us and you say it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be. But it is because we're human. We live long enough and every person discovers a growing list of deep longings that are beyond our capacity to bring uh, solutions to. We cannot spend enough. We cannot consume enough. We cannot watch enough. We cannot know enough. We cannot control enough to satisfy that deep thirst and longing the reason why is this. We're human. We are subject to the laws, to the realities of this world. So frustrated was Nebuchadnezzar with realizing this inadequacy that he was ready to dismember bodies. That's where he was. Now, we can look at that and we can be judgmental and say that is a horrible thing for him to consider doing. And that's worth saying because it is horrible, but don't miss the longing in this king's heart. And Daniel understood it. In fact, several times as he interfaces with Nebuchadnezzar, he actually addresses it directly. In the midst, in the center of Nebuchadnezzar's heart, is this deep longing for life to consist of more than what can be seen and experienced and the rope tricks people can do to entertain or distract. I want to know that there is a God in heaven who visits his people and addresses the deepest longings of my heart. That's what we have here. We have a person of immense power that recognized it would never be enough. Now there's another part of this, and it is a, this is a story of friends that actually acted out on their faith. You see, they saw the world differently than all of the other wise people in, in, the, king's, uh, in the king's group. And they saw the world differently than they did. The rest of the world was saying God doesn't visit the earth You know, it just doesn't happen. And they knew it did. And they knew what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. And they realized that if Nebuchadnezzar wants that, God wants that for Nebuchadnezzar. God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know that God is real and God is relevant and God is here. And based on that conviction, they gather together and they pray and they say, God, what will happen? Now, notice something here, just parenthetically they didn't invite him to church. Hey, we're going to have this great event and come on and you'll see God in this place. They didn't invite him to church. They walked into his circumstances and showed him the truth about God. What has happened to us? Come to our events, we say, and all throughout Scripture we see people going to other people's crises. What is this that we just Well, just come to our program. No, guess where God does his best work in the midst of their crisis. We're here to prepare for there so that we can go there and as as inadequate as we can be. And Daniel even says this, and at the end of it he says, hey, I got nothing on you. I am not any better than anybody else here. I'm just a person that knows who God is and asked him to intervene. That's all. Anybody here in the room qualify for that? to be nothing other than a person that knows that there is a God in heaven who cares about the people of earth and simply asks the question, God, how can I point you out? And that's what we see here. We see these people of faith, they gather together in a group, not just Daniel, but his three friends. They remember that he's a God of power. They pray for his help. They go to the turf of the person who needs to know that there is a God in heaven that comes to earth, and they declare his name. They say to the king, your go-to solution for the problems in your life that are bringing the deepest ache in your life are not possible in their ability to solve your problem. There is a better option, they say to Nebuchadnezzar, and we will prove it. God is right here in your world and in your circumstances. And bam, we see what happens. <clears throat> and that brings us to the third element of the story. It's a great reversal. I mean, nobody dies. That's the first bit of good news, Right? Not only for those diviners and sorcerers, but for all of their families and all of their friends. Nobody dies on this day because someone had the courage to believe that God would show up and change the circumstances. And not only did it transform the lives of the people whose lives were on the line, but Nebuchadnezzar as well, too. Now notice here, this isn't conversion, it's recognition. This isn't a story of Nebuchadnezzar coming to faith in God. This is a story of Nebuchadnezzar's eyes being wide open to a reality that the world is a lot bigger and more, more, has more dimensions to it than he ever possibly imagined. That's what happens here. They showed Nebuchadnezzar that God visits the earth. And even that is a great reversal. What Nebuchadnezzar does with that is his to decide. But now he knew because someone pointed to heaven. Okay, here's a secret. And it says, this was not a magic trick. I know, it was a little disappointing, isn't it? But, you know, there were, this was no ropes trick that, that Daniel and his friends I- engineered here. No card trick, no sleight of hand. This was actually a display of the sovereign God's supernatural intervention in the world. <laughs> That's what we have. We've got no rope tricks. We have no rope tricks. We have a God who will sovereignly display his supernatural power in the course of the world. God actually intervenes here. God actually does things beyond the bounds of what humans have a capacity to do on their own. And we know this is true. It screams from cover to cover of this book. In Isaiah 40, Isaiah says, comfort ye, God says to Isaiah, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, because I am the one who created this world, and I am the one who is here with my people in the world. We get to John chapter 1, and it says, in the beginning was the word, a reference to Jesus Christ, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word comes into this world, and we beheld his glory, it says, full of grace and truth. The word becomes flesh, it says, and dwells among us. There's a God in heaven who visits this world and lives among us. In fact, in the, in the message, I love what Eugene Peterson says. He says, and, and, and Jesus moved into the neighborhood. That's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know. Is there a Jesus in the neighborhood? Is there a God who is a real and transforms life, and does more than simple rope tricks. That's the secret of this story, is that this was no trick. We get to Romans chapter 8, and it talks about this God who takes all of the mess of our life, the human realities of life lived in this place, and he takes all of those things, and he works with them in a way that in the end we see God, and we say he is good, because he visits this planet and there are people that need to know it's true so what does this mean for us what's the application for us well i think it might be possible for us to say well if if someone ever threatens my life i'll i'll, I'll open uh, daniel 2 up right away or if I ever hear of somebody who has a dream, and that still happens, by the way. The team that just got back from Greece wait to hear their stories of what Muslims are dreaming and what they're encountering, how they're encountering God. But that's just not an everyday occurrence for us. And so we say, well, maybe Daniel 2, I'll pick it up once in a while. But it's not that. That's not what this is about. It's not relevant if someone is trying to kill you. I mean, that's the kind of thing that tells us that that's a story I learned as a king, and it's back there in that collection of all of those stories that are stories I heard as a kid. No, this is one for us. This is not so much a story about someone who had a dream, but a story of one who has deep longing in their heart and who doesn't. So here are the three things that I would encourage you to consider. One is look for people longing for more from life than what they have. Look for people longing for more from life than what they have. They're all over the place. That person who has that incredible drive to succeed, what do you think is behind that? What do you think it is? It causes this person to just go and go and go and even go with great success, but just continue to be riveted and focused on it. Do you think there's a deep longing in their heart? And is it possible that someone would come along and point out to them the dimensions of that before they discover the carnage that occurs because that longing has driven them to places that will wreck their life? What is the longing behind that? Or a person craving for attention that give up everything, everything to get it from anyone who will tell them they're beautiful for just a minute. What is the deep longing there that God wants us to see? How about the addictions that come along? Or the shame, the desire to get rid of the shame. Look for people longing for more from life than what they have. Or just a sense of defeat. You know, it was attributed to G.K. Chesterton. There's some debate as to whether or not he said it or not, but still the quote is really good. It's this, the man knocking on the door of the brothel is looking for God. And before we marginalize that person for the door they're knocking on, let's recognize the longing that got them to that point and realize what it is all about. There's no difference between that person and any other person desperately hoping that there's a God in heaven who will, will bring wholeness to the ache in their heart. Look for people longing for more from life than what they have. I experienced this just yesterday in a taxi cab ride. A guy who's been driving for for Lyft for a couple of years, 10-hour days, seven days a week, uh, worn out, and uh, I asked him, I says, is this, is this your life? Is, are, is this where you want to be? And he looked at me and he said, oh, no. He says, I can't imagine not working, but I want something that's meaningful to work at. He said, I want to work till I die. My dad died at 92 years old, and he walked a mile to work and worked at 92 and walked home. He lived in India sons grown up in the United States. And he says, but no. He says, this isn't what I want, but I have this desire to, to do something significant and important. And I said to Ravi, you know, uh, I think I know why you have that desire. The scriptures I read talk about God is one who created us in his image. God is a God who made us important and significant things he made us that's the way god is and there's no doubt that we have a same desire in us if we're actually made in the image of god that we would have that very same longing for our life you see you see there are these longings that people have i can't tell you anything more about that story it was over i didn't get to pray for him but you know what i got one moment to point him towards heaven I don't know what will happen next. And this is the invitation God gives to us. Look for people with longings and then ask God to help us to know what it is that we can say in that moment. Someone has said this, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. Just write that down and then put a great big X through it. That's like saying, feed the hungry if necessary, use food. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word speaks into life, and God calls us to the same thing, to speak up like Daniel did, to say to a king, guess what? There is a God in heaven, and I know who he is, and I will show you how he works. To walk into lives and speak a word that lets them know that Jesus lives. And then third and finally, Speak out as if your life depended on it, because their lives do. I was reminded of this a week and a half ago as I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and I'd never really heard the story of his father before. Steen's a great friend, and he said, you know, when I was 12 years old, everything changed in my life. My dad... Grew up, he was a great guy, took us on all sorts of crazy adventures out into the ocean. I mean, our lives were at stake, and so it was just exhilarating to live with him at that point. But he had all sorts of other things that were true of his life, too. He would just drink constantly from morning to night, he would just smoke like crazy. He was a misogynist, he was just a rough guy for so many people. And um, his marriage was in trouble. Our relationship with him was basically adventures, and it went no deeper than that. And he said, you know what happened? When I was 12 years old, a woman actually spoke into his life, and she said to him, you know what? If you don't give your life to Jesus, you're going to ruin your marriage you're going to ruin your kids, and you're going to ruin your life. And he said, and in that moment, my dad had the sense that that voice came not from this woman across the table, but from God himself speaking into his life. And he embraced it and believed it and asked God to walk into his life and take control of his life from that moment on. And Satan said, you know, the reason why I know about that, two things. He never drank again, a miracle miracle God visits humanity he never drank again and he walked into my room and he said to me son I have ruined so many things in my life and I am so sorry for what I have done to you and what I have done to your mom and Jesus is in charge of my life from this point forward it changed everything Because someone had the courage to speak out and say, there is a God in heaven who can change your life and address the deepest longings of who you are. Now, I can show you a rope trick that might get you to Las Vegas and perform with Penn and Teller. Who wants it? When the opportunity we have been given, without any card trick skills at all, is to simply have the courage to acknowledge the realities of a God who visits humanity and we just show Jesus to them and the trajectory of their life is changed forever. You can do magic tricks. God invites us to be part of something that actually Changes the trajectory of lives. Want it? That's what God wants for us. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this incredible gift you give to your people. I pray that you would help us to embrace it, to gather together with others just like Daniel had, to give courage and to help us to see you at work, to expect your miraculous, supernatural intervention so that all the peoples of the world will know that the Lord is God. There's no one like him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.